Dueling Eagles, written by Chad Clabo, read by Derek Durlam, produced by Studio Conundrum, copyright 2017, Chad Clabo. Chapter 36 It was a 20-minute drive to the Madero restaurant. This time around, Ned was driving the car, Lisa was in the front passenger seat, and Kevin Hirsch was riding in the back. Once they were on their way, Ned gave Kevin an abridged description of their mission and where they were heading. So, Kevin, said Ned, your father said you're going to law school. Yep, three semesters in last fall before my dad called me back to help him manage the pecan ranch. It was getting harder to find good help with all the trouble in El Paso. Are you going back next fall, then? asked Ned. That is the plan. I'm on a leave of absence now, but I can't keep that up for more than two semesters without extenuating circumstances. Where do you go to school? asked Lisa. Massachusetts. Harvard? asked Ned. No, not Harvard. Boston College Law. Why Massachusetts? asked Lisa. Well, I did apply to Harvard, and while I was applying there, I looked into the area and decided to apply to a couple other Boston area law schools. Boston College was the first to accept my application, and that's where I decided to go. Your father also mentioned an interest in law enforcement, said Ned. Yes, that's what my undergraduate degree was in, criminal justice. I always had romantic notions about being a police officer. I even dreamed of being a Texas Ranger when I was a kid. But I was always more interested in the law classes, and after a week on the job in San Antonio, I decided that I wanted to change gears and go to law school. My dad wanted me to go to a Texas school again, but I wanted to broaden my horizons, so I looked out east. Tired of life in the West Texas desert? asked Ned. No, it wasn't that. I just didn't want to settle down without feeling that I'd seen a little bit more of the world. And not just for a vacation, but feeling like I'd lived in it. I mean, I spent more than four years in San Antonio, but it didn't really feel that different. Then maybe after I'd lived somewhere other than Texas, then I could come back home. Well, Massachusetts is definitely different from Texas. New England is like its own little corner of the country. It doesn't really feel quite like anywhere else. It might even be safe to say it's more alien from Texas than northern Mexico. I don't know if I can agree with you there, said Kevin, but the weather was definitely alien. Sometimes it snows in Texas, but when it started to snow in Boston in December, I'd never seen anything like that. It just sat there for days, piling up on the sidewalks and boulevards as the plows went by, and then more snow piling on top of that. Yes, the snow, said Ned. I spent many Christmases in Pennsylvania. There's really nothing like the mountains of snow. Everyone in my family complains about it, but I think most of them would be lost without it. As they approached the restaurant, there was more activity on the streets. Lisa guided Ned until they were about a block away and parked the car. You mind staying with the car? asked Ned as he handed Kevin a walkie-talkie. This should just be reconnaissance, but I'll radio if I need anything. Sure thing, boss. I'll keep the getaway car ready. Chapter 37 Lisa brought Ned into the restaurant through a back entrance that came into a room with some lockers, a table, and a bathroom off to the side. It was mostly quiet outside of the building and in the back, but Ned could hear men carousing in the dining area. They crept quietly into the kitchen where there was one man making burritos. The man was big and tall and looked like he was in his fifties, with graying hair underneath his chef's hat. Jorge, said Lisa quietly, but loud enough for the man working over the stove to hear, Felisa. The man looked up and then ran over and wrapped her in a big bear hug. They told me you were gone, the man said in Spanish. 
They said you helped the gringo escape. The man then looked at Ned and his eyes became wide. You did help the gringo escape. Mia, what are you doing back here? They'll kill you if they find you. I need to find Alonzo. Do you know where he is? Oh, Felisa, he was here. I tried to ask him about you and he looked worried, but he wouldn't say anything. Then he was called away. Do you know where he went? The army moved most of their soldiers to the International Dam site. You know, the one just up the road. I am certain that's where your brother went. Thank you, Jorge. I've got to follow him now. But, Mia, why do you need to find him now? There's something coming, Jorge. Do you understand? And I've got to get him out now for his own good. I understand, Felisa. Do you want me to come too? I can help you. No, Jorge. I have enough help, and you need to help your family. You need to keep them safe now. I understand. You go now. I'll stay here and take care of my family. The man gave her another hug. Goodbye, Mija. Ned and Lisa then crept out of the kitchen and into the back room. Lisa opened one of the lockers, grabbed a pile of uniforms, and put them in a bag that was hanging on a hook. Less than a minute later, they were back in the car, which was ready to go, just as Kevin had promised. Will your friend tell anyone he saw us? asked Ned. He's worked at our restaurant since before my brother was born. He was almost like a second father to us. He would never betray me, not even to my brother. Plus, he's never liked the CLA anyway. How far is the dam? asked Ned. About three kilometers, said Lisa. It won't take long to get there. If we had more time, I might call for satellite reconnaissance, but I'm afraid we're just going to have to wing it. You may have time. We need to change into these uniforms if we're going to walk into that camp, and my house is just a couple blocks north of here. They won't be looking for you there? asked Ned. I don't think so. Last night they would have, but not now. And with my brother gone, it should be safe. Lisa pointed Ned toward the house in question, and he parked the car around the corner in front of two matching palm trees. Ned, Lisa, and Kevin all got out of the car and walked to the house. Lisa unlocked the door with a security code, and they all went inside. Lisa dumped the bag that she had filled at the restaurant. We keep extra uniforms at the restaurant for the soldiers. Find one that fits and put it on. My brother might have some in that room, too. She pointed at one of the doors and then went into one of the other bedrooms. I would have expected your family to have a bigger house than this, Ned shouted through the door as he and Kevin changed. We do, Lisa shouted back. It's south of town. We kept this house so that if we worked late at the restaurant, we'd have somewhere nearby to sleep for the night. Must be rough, Kevin said quietly to Ned, who looked back at Kevin. Don't judge her too harshly. She's lost everything now that she once had. And I bet your ranch house is bigger than this one, too. Yeah, you're right there. Not to mention the cost of Boston College Law School. All right, I see your point. Lisa came back out of the room dressed in the same fashion as she had been the first time Ned saw her. Ned and Kevin were also dressed in the same blue uniform style of the Chihuahuan Liberation Army. Ned noticed that Lisa was wearing combat boots with her pant legs tucked in. Ned's boots might pass, but Kevin was wearing cowboy boots. Are we going to look out of place without the right boots? No, replied Lisa. Half the soldiers wear cowboy boots. The CLA was very generous with the uniforms, but didn't provide as many boots. They want you to wear something black, but anything dark will do. Just put the pant leg over the boot. Chapter 38 Ned had made his phone call for satellite reconnaissance, and they were quickly on their way. The satellite recon told him that while the CLA had built massive fortifications on the El Paso side of the river, there was practically nothing on this side. It made Ned wonder if they had anyone who was familiar with military theory. 
If they were flanked, there would be no way for them to put up a decent defense. Back in the car, they headed north, and before long drove over an irrigation canal that was flowing full with water. Ned stopped the car. Is that the Asequia Madre? asked Ned. It is, replied Lisa. I've never seen so much water in it before. Is this where it's going to flood, do you think? It's hard to say, said Ned. It's possible that the banks of the river will overspill somewhere upstream, but we're pretty close to the Rio Grande already, and since the canal flows here, I've got to believe that this is already a pretty low-lying area. Imagine another four feet of water on top of that. Lisa's eyes went wide. What's this about a flood? asked Kevin. You heard in the president's speech about the destruction of the Elephant Butt Dam, said Ned. I did, replied Kevin. Well, all that water's coming downstream, and there's really nothing to stop it before it gets here. It won't be moving destructively fast, but it's a lot of water, and everything in low-lying areas will be flooded until it passes through. And when exactly is this going to happen? When I talked to the satellite recon people, they said it could be as soon as 8 o'clock. That's the main reason why the attack on the CLA can't be postponed. It'll be hard to move anything in this city once that water hits. But how long will it last? The water might start to recede in as little as an hour, said Ned, but it will leave debris and chaos in its wake. It could delay effective military action for days or longer. Ned looked at his watch. Speaking of time, we've got less than an hour to find Lisa's brother and get him out of there. Let's get going. Chapter 39 Ned continued to drive north until they met the highway that ran parallel to the Rio Grande. As they continued to drive northwest, they could sometimes see the Asequia Madre running down the middle of the highway, like a center of the road ditch that was nearly filled to bursting with water. As they drove along the river, they could see armed CLA forces on the far side of the river guarding the border. It looked like they had used concrete highway barriers to build foxholes that were spaced evenly along the river's edge. The fortification line veered off as they got closer to the dam. Ned knew from his conversation with Satellite Recon that the fortification line circled the north side of the dam with a radius of about one kilometer, centered on the dam. They decided to leave the car a short distance from the dam site on a side street. The car provided a certain amount of camouflage for them, but leaving it on the road directly opposite the dam would be too conspicuous, and Ned wanted to make sure it would still be there when they got back. They opened the trunk before leaving the car. Ned pocketed one grenade and gave another to Kevin. He then took a second pistol for himself and gave the other one to Lisa. Lastly, he handed an assault rifle to Kevin, who slung it over his shoulder. From there, they made their way on foot the last kilometer to the dam. There were CLA soldiers coming and going, but there didn't appear to be too much organization to their effort. There had been no official border crossing here, so except for the top of the International Dam, there was no bridge across the river. The riverbed below the dam, however, was currently bone dry, and that was the easiest way to get to the fortifications on the north side. Ned, Lisa, and Kevin kept their heads down as they walked among the CLA soldiers. Once they were across the river, Lisa began to make inquiries about the location of her brother as inconspicuously as she could. Ned noticed that she referred to herself as Captain Herrera and was telling people she was supposed to report to Colonel Madero. After finding someone who seemed to know what was going on, they were directed to a small apartment building that was being used as a command center for the dam fortifications. They arrived at the building and watched it from a safe distance. It looks more like a big ranch house than an apartment building, said Kevin. If not for all the doors and mailboxes, that's what I'd think it was. 
Fortunately for us, said Ned, the soldiers are coming and going here as well. We should be able to get inside without anyone noticing. Still, said Lisa, it's much more likely that someone here will recognize me, and the two of you will look even more out of place. It's a real risk going inside. I could scout it out, said Kevin. My mother was half Mexican, and I've been speaking Spanish since I was a baby. I should be able to blend in okay, and I could ask a few questions. Ned looked to Lisa. She shrugged. All right, Kevin, you head inside. Try to make your way back out quickly. If you're not back here in ten minutes, we're coming in after you. If you can't get back out, you've got your walkie, and as a last resort, fire your pistol. We'll come running. Chapter 40 Ned and Lisa didn't have to wait the full ten minutes. What did you find? asked Lisa. I did like you said, replied Kevin. I found someone who didn't look too important, and I asked about who was in command. Then I asked about Colonel Madero. They said they hadn't seen him. Then I asked about Jack Stewart. They said Jack was attending to some business in the apartment next door. Ned looked at the next building on the block. It was in the same style as the first, although not identical. There's no traffic going into that building, said Kevin. We'll be noticed for sure if we walk in. You're right. Ned looked further up the block. There was another building that looked like some kind of business. Let's go, said Ned. Where are we going? asked Lisa. I have an idea. Ned led them up the street and into the yard next door, where they walked around the building and climbed over the fence before arriving at the back of the apartment building. The sun was sinking further into the southwestern sky, but it was still daylight. If anyone was watching, they would be seen. Ned could only hope that no one was watching. The back door of the apartment building was a security door in a steel frame, and Ned knew that if it didn't open, they'd have to find another way in. Fortunately, it looked like the lock had already been broken, probably when the CLA soldiers had forced their way in. There was a stairs that went both upstairs and down, and a long hall that went straight ahead. They entered the first door on the left side of the hall. The lock on this door was broken as well. It looked like either the CLA soldiers or looters had made their way through the entire building. The door opened into a back entryway, which then led to a small hallway that connected two bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room, and a front entryway. This apartment was completely abandoned. It looked like the people who had left had time to pack, but still left some things behind. There was a couch in the living room, as well as an empty television mount on the wall. There was also a bed stripped bare and an empty dresser in the bedroom, as well as a table with no chairs in the kitchen. They made their way back out of the apartment and tried the door on the other side of the hall. It was the same layout as the first apartment in reverse. As they went down the hallway and into the kitchen, they came across three men in CLA uniforms. Two of the soldiers were seated at a table and presumably guarding the third, who was tied to a chair. Who are you? asked one of the guards in Spanish. Hands up, ordered Kevin and raised the rifle to point at one of the guards. Ned pointed his handgun at the other guard. Like he said, hands up. Lisa was the last one to enter the room and gasped when she saw the man tied to the chair. That's Alonzo. Hey, sis, Alonzo smiled. See what you got me into here? You are all making a big mistake, said one of the guards, both of whom now had their hands up. That's right, said Kevin. Our mistake. He pushed both of the guards' guns onto the floor, then turned the rifle around and hit one of the guards in the head with the butt of his rifle. The guard fell to the floor. Then Kevin raised the rifle again. Hey! The other guard stood up. Not so fast, said a voice at the door. 
Ned, who had been watching Kevin subdue the guards, turned to see that Jack Stewart had entered the room and was now holding a gun to Lisa's head. Chapter 41 Well, look at you, Mr. Albrecht. Ned's gun was now aimed directly at Jack, while Jack continued to keep his gun pointed directly at Lisa's head. You, Jack said to Lisa, get on your knees and keep your hands up. Lisa moved to her knees while watching Jack's gun. Then she looked directly at Ned. When I heard that you were back in Juarez, said Jack, I couldn't believe it. After you escaped last night, I thought I'd never see you again. When I heard that you and the girl had returned, I couldn't think of a reason why, except that you were looking for someone she knew. That's why I brought the colonel here. Still here, said Alonzo. Shut up, shouted Jack. That's why I brought the colonel here, but you were supposed to come in through the front door. Now that you've spoiled my surprise, I'm going to have to demand that you drop your guns, or I'll kill the girl. Come on, Jack, you know I can't lower my gun now. Ned's gun was still pointed directly at Jack. And that goes for you, too. Ned glanced over at Kevin, whose rifle was pointed at the still-standing guard. If we drop our guns now, you'll just kill all three of us. Jack smiled. It looks like we've got a real-life Mexican standoff here. How appropriate. However, if you don't drop your guns now, I can guarantee that this girl will be the first to die. And you'll be the second, said Ned. Look, Jack, there's no way we're going to trust you, and you've got no hope of coming out of this anyway. The United States has declared war against Mexico. The American army is on its way. Your plans for a free Texas have failed. When you're captured, you'll be tried for terrorism and high treason. Lies, shouted Jack. The feds have got no stomach for war. They'll turn back once the public cries out. Jack moved his gun from Lisa to Ned. Maybe you should be the first to die. Ned could see Lisa's eyes following the gun. She leapt at it. Jack's gun swept right and fired. At exactly the same moment, Ned held his aim and fired. Jack fell to the ground in a slump. Chapter 42 all right, you, Kevin said to the remaining guard. Get on the floor. Somebody better check that guy and make sure he's dead. Kevin waved his head towards Jack's body. Lisa was still on the floor in a daze. Ned stepped forward to examine Jack. The gunshot was in the center of his chest. Ned checked for a pulse. He couldn't find one. He's gone, said Ned. I take it he was one of the bad guys? Kevin was already in the process of tying the guard's wrists. Indeed he was, said Ned. Can you keep this other guy covered until I get to him? said Kevin. Just in case he wakes up? Sure thing. Ned looked at the other man lying on the floor. Then he looked back to the door. Lisa, are you okay? Alonzo spoke up, still tied to his chair. Yes, are you okay, Felisa? I'm fine. Lisa was slowly getting up. It's just... it was just so loud. Ned looked back to Kevin, who was now tying the second guard's hands. Then he turned his attention to Alonzo. Okay, said Ned. Here's the deal, Alonzo. That's Colonel Madero. Ned looked again at Alonzo. He could see the family resemblance between Alonzo and Lisa. Alonzo, however, spoke with much more of an accent than Lisa did. Ned was now looking directly at Alonzo. I don't recognize your army as representing a sovereign government, Mr. Madero. You are an illegal combatant, 
so I won't refer to you as Colonel. Now here's the deal. Our mission is to take you back to the United States. You can come as a prisoner and face trial for insurrection, terrorism, and illegal warfare, or you can come with us voluntarily and testify as a witness against the CLA. In exchange, when the trial is over, you'll receive a commutation of your sentence from life in prison to time served. Alonzo stared back at Ned. You say the American army is already on its way? That's right. He then looked at his sister. And you, Felisa, you're on his side? I am. Alonzo looked back at Ned. Then where do I sign? Dueling Eagles Written by Chad Claybo Read by Derek Durlam Produced by Studio Conundrum Copyright 2017, Chad Claybo